So, will it be skiing or Christmas markets on a city break? Skiing or a city break? Some problems are good problems to have. Especially with flights this winter from $29.99 one way and package holidays from £159 per person. Get booking at easyjet.com. Selected dates, holidays at all protected based on two adults for three nights. Travel restrictions and T's and C's apply. I've got to laugh at some of the comments on YouTube. These people are making their stories up. Only this podcast guest has told the truth. All the others are liars. Where's the paperwork? I've looked on Google and none of this is true. I can't find anything about this guy. It must be completely utter lies. Look at this paperwork. It took me hours to read for all this. You bastards, making me bring this guy's paperwork all the way from Cheltenham. All right, James is a cocaine courier. Ex-cocaine courier. Ex-cocaine courier. <laughs> Multi-million dollar coke ring in the UK. I've just pulled out some choice documents. Is from the police files, his coke van. And from the police files, one of his one kilo batches of coke. I used to get coke for um, if I wanted it from the cartel. Um, Arizona's on the border yeah. with Mexico, so we would get like a, a kilo uncut, like 12, 13, 14, 15 gram back then in the 90s. Yeah. This kilo you were transporting, what's that worth in the UK these days? About 45, 45 to 52 grand. And what, do you know what the purity of it is? And what? Uh, that wasn't too good. That was 26%. Right, okay. So it's just a repress. But that helped you with your case because it was less? Mm, yeah, well. It, it, or did they count it as what? They, they put, the cut as well? They, put, uh, they basically l l lumped it all together. So between the whole of the conspiracy, there was like uh, nine or 12 kilos. So we, everybody got done for all the all the coke, not one person for one. Yeah. So it didn't matter whether it was 20%, 90%. What year was that? Uh, that was in 2011. So before we get to that, on the way in here, you were telling me a story about two guys who had an incident in one of the prisons. Yeah. What, what, what year was that and who were these people? Uh, so it was two, 2011. Uh, I'd, been, uh, I'd been in uh, remanded in Gloucester, Gloucester Jail, which yeah. is shut down now. I got remanded in July. I'm, uh, you know... I went to a private school. I wasn't expecting to do that sort of thing. You know, I'm walking on to A-Wing. You're allowed to say what school you went? Yeah, I went to St. Edward's in Cheltenham, yeah. St. Edward's in Cheltenham, okay. Yeah, not so my, spoke at that one yet. My dad, yeah. my dad paid, you know, a fair bit of money for my yeah, education. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm in, I'm in Gloucester Jail. I've probably been there less than six months. I'm trying to keep my head down. And uh, we have associations. So in Gloucester, it was quite... Um, quite lax you know they let all the wings off at the same time so association because most of my yeah. viewers in america that's like wreck is yeah. it like so, you, you like, got access to a day room is it yeah there's basically they, un they unlock all the doors there's a pool table there's a table tennis table yeah because you've got tvs in your cells they don't really have a place to watch watch films and so stuff you guys have pool tables and table tennis that'd all yeah. get weaponized in america what security level is this then uh, uh local bcat okay so that's so, like um not the not the fullest maximum. No, it's not like an one, one below it, yeah. one below it. But yeah. everybody who's remanded goes to like a B-Cat slash your Bristol's, your, uh, there's one in Birmingham, place like that, you know, uh, Aylesbury as well, they've got a, a, a B-Cat. Yeah, I think it was Pepsi Watson. Pepsi Watson was on was here. Like that, yeah. 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 Anyway, so I'm in Gloucester, 
trying to keep my head down. And uh, so a local, a local man of Cheltenham who's well known, who I got on with because I'm from Cheltenham and I was on quite a big case and I'm quite a friendly guy. What's he well known for? He's well known for slashing and beating the living daylights out of people. Okay. He's, he's known as a, he's a bully. So he's in there. Yeah, he's in there. Anyway, so uh, we get, we're all basically having a game of pool or just chatting, you know, getting some tobacco or whatever, getting some yeah. burn or, you know, whatever you need. And uh, the bloody bell goes off and we're all standing there. They're trying to rush us back in our cells. And this guy comes out of his cell. Not gonna, I'm not going to mention his name because, you know, I live in the same town. Of course, yeah. And uh, he's walking out with this guy and this guy's face is literally hanging off. He's, he's, he's been cut all the way down here and his face hanging off, blood pissing absolutely everywhere. And this guy's just like walking into the uh, to the officer's light, you know, in the centre they've got where the officers sit and have their brew. He walks in there and, and puts him down. I later find out that this guy's just gone in and said to him, look, this guy's fallen down in my cell. And uh, then what happens is this guy, he gets shipped out to another jail because, you know, there's like a little bit of... When you've been in a jail for a while, like somewhere like Gloucester, you get a little bit gang-related and he gets shipped out anyway. In the end, he got seven years for that. And people are going into court lying for him, you know. People who I know, who I've met, who are nice people, trying to help this guy out. And at the end of the day, he's just a fucking bully. Yeah. You know? So he got seven years added on the Added on to a sentence, yeah. I see. And he he's a prolific bully yeah you know what what's the gang structure then in these prisons in the uk uh well i was i kept myself to myself because i was quiet i was on a drug conspiracy i didn't want to speak to no one but it was mainly like um where in in gloucester it was basically cheltenham gloucester a little postcode i've heard you say yeah a little bit postcode so if you're from cheltenham people from cheltenham would sort you out so this guy who'd done the slashing he was from cheltenham so i didn't have to worry about him you know if someone came to you and said, have you got a light? I'll give them a light. That's the sort of person I am, you know? Yeah. I'm a nice guy, you know? I'm not expecting someone to get cut over a fucking lighter. Yeah. I swear. So it's, Can I swear? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You say whatever the hell yeah, you yeah. want. Yeah, yeah. You, so it's basically divided by area, which we call postcodes in this country, zip yeah. codes in America. And you, you're feeling comparatively safe because you're within that postcode. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, I'm, I moved all, all, all around to all different jails, so... Because my case, I, I was the first one to go get guilty at the first possible opportunity because I got caught bang to rights with a kilo in the back of my car. Yeah. Can't, can't say fuck all about it. Yeah. So I, I got a, a basically a remanded prisoner with uh, no no privileges. You know, like you, you hear people saying, well, they've been on remand, they can wear their own clothes, they can spend £55 a week. Well, I'm sat in there with all my codes, they're all refusing any responsibility for it. <laughs> and I'm sat there, like, skint as you like, wearing prison garbs, which, you know, first, it's not good, you know. No, no. <laughs> it's very degrading having to line up every Friday to get someone else's dirty bloody pants and, <laughs> and socks and shit, you know. All right, so we're going to get to this uh, court case yeah. in a minute. Yeah, yeah. How do you jump from going a independent school, a private school, yeah. to getting involved in crime? Okay, so, um, right, so uh, my... Uh, my my okay, so my mother was was an alcoholic. She died when I was like uh, thirteen. Oh dear! And uh, I remember uh, I remember the day vividly. And from that moment on, I was com- pretty lost. Yeah. So uh, I started to self medicate with marijuana. So I'd smoke pot on a regular basis. Not surprised. And my father used to say to me, uh, even when I was sixteen, "You are a drug dealer. You are going to go to jail." He's, At sixteen, because yeah, oh, you're yeah. hooking your mates up with pot. Yeah, you are yeah. a drug dealer. You are going to go to jail. I'll never forget the day he put, took me on the side and said, you know, you've got to stop what you're doing. I said, I'm not doing anything wrong, blah, blah, blah. You know, 15, 20 years later, I get slammed with a 
a big sentence. So what? he was right. Yeah, well... But I'll go back to It's it. like he groomed you for it, wasn't it? Yeah. He wasn't saying, son, you're going to go out in the world and be a productive high flyer in whatever profession you've got a passion for. Which... Well, my, my dad is uh, is um, was a managing director of quite a big company in, in Birmingham, Kalamazoo. So he was basically trying to warn me, you yeah. know, and uh, because when I, when my before my mother died, my father uh, he, he wasn't about. He was always working, you know. And then suddenly, when my mum died, I'm I finally I'm with my father. You know, he was you always, got siblings. Yeah, I got uh, two sisters, one brother. Uh, I'm the youngest of the four. My, Did you end up the black sheep then? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh god, yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So what was the step from weed? Uh, well, I the, the thing I've always found is because I'm a, a recovering addict, uh, I've. Wherever I've gone in the world, I've always met somebody who will sort me out with a substance that I need. Yeah. And I've always been able to produce it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. I can still do it today if I want, but I choose not to do it. Yeah. So uh, it starts off by I meet somebody, buy a bit of pot. Someone says, oh, can you get me some Coke? I'm like, yeah, I can try it. So for about three years, I maybe I've got a bit of Coke. People never did any of it. Always smoked pot and would never do any chemicals ever. Yeah. I was totally anti-chemicals. And then one day someone says, can you get some pills? I'm like, not a problem. I get them the pills. They're like, do you want to try one? I'm like, yeah, I'll try one. So I try one. And when you say pills, you're on about ecstasy. like ecstasy. Yeah, ecstasy, okay. yeah. And I'm talking like 1997, 8. So you're getting your groove on at the rave clubs or anything? Well, no, not really, because I was like 17, you know, okay. so I couldn't get into the clubs. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we used to do what I do, sit in, you know, get mashed, do a load of pills, listen to some yeah. tunes. We've all done it. Which so. tunes? Uh, trance, hard house. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm an ex. I'm an ex hard house DJ. So I've, I, I'm, you're an ex hard house DJ. Yeah, I still play now for my own pleasure. So. Oh, you have to send me some stuff. I've got loads. I of I love stuff. a variety of house from handbag, handbag um, to hard. Yeah, yeah. So I play it all. So, um, so basically, I then produce, uh, pr- started to progress into taking harder drugs. I went to college again. You know, well, let's just go over that progression yeah. slowly then. So. Teenager, you're into the weed. Weed, yeah. How old are you when you're taking the E? Uh, 19. 19? Yeah. And then you said it progressed into hard drugs. What was the next one? Coke. So Coke was the next one. How yeah. did you get introduced to that? Uh, I just got introduced to it by someone saying, can you, excuse me, can you, uh, can you organize, can you get any? And I said, I'll try. And being the person I am, I'm willing to, very low self-esteem, always want to please people. That's my problem, yeah? I'm a people pleaser. I always have been. I did it in jail. I you know that that is it's low self-esteem i know that now but at the time i, I didn't realize so someone says do you want a line i'm like yeah i'll have a go i had a go it wasn't really a problem for me still smoked went out dunnies met a girl had an amazing relationship around drugs getting fucking twisted going to all the clubs around cheltenham around the uk and uh how, and it, how did it feel the first time you did ecstasy and coke um I, I remember I remember the first time I did ecstasy um, on its own. I was at someone's house and they, uh, they had a you know a disco ball. Yeah. And uh, every rotation had a block of eight. <laughs> so anyway, I just sat there for like six hours doing this, <laughs> watching this ball go. <laughs> it was epic. I'll you had to start it. to move around a lot on ecstasy. I'm always like that. Uh, but the, I just remember we used to snort coke to come down. To come down yeah. from the E. Yeah. <laughs> because, kind of like wake you up and clear your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, did you add Xanax on that? No, so that no, I, ne- I never done any of the Xanax or the Valiums or things like okay. that. That came a lot later. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't really into, I've never really been into prescription drugs. Really. Did you progress harder into heroin no. or anything else? No, I never did any heroin. I smoked crack once, mm-hmm. had one lick on a pipe. It was so 
fucking lush. I promised I'd never do it again, and I never did it again. It was so lush. Yeah. You enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the opposite because um, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos of I my s- mate, Wild Man. No, I haven't seen the Wild Man, but. The Wild Man, my best friend from my hometown, he came out to America with me. He was, he was like one of my uh, bouncers, bodyguards, big, big, big guy. And um, I got him this apartment near this English pub, hoping he would just behave himself and have a few beers. Yeah, yeah. Immediately rented it out to Colombian cocaine I, dealers. I, I, read a, yeah. I read a book. And they were yeah. um, seeing how big a crack rock he could do in one breath. Yeah. He got up to like a $100 crack rock. <laughs> so when I went over there, he's like, try this crack stuff. And, he's, you know, I'm smoking this. I'm thinking this, it lasts for like 10, 10 seconds. seconds. Yeah. I could take ecstasy. And dance and smile and be happy for five hours. Yeah. Yeah, I have this thing and go, whoop, whoop. Yeah. And then I'm like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. So I'm glad it didn't. I didn't find it lush. I just promised I'd never do it again. Okay. I just I'm never doing that again. Yeah. It was actually quite scary, the uh, euphoric high that you got off it. I was yeah. like, whoa, that's like too nice for me. It does send a lot of people downhill fast. Yeah. 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 So you're at this kind of like participation level now yeah low low very low participation and people pleasing hooking people up yeah but now jump into kilos of coke hey how did that so um i uh i just remember i I had a i had a i basically i was a driver for everybody so i used to give people lifts all the time not necessarily drugs so my friend turned around to me and said oh uh, i hope you set up a business so i set up a a a courier business and Mm -hmm. i was doing all right and um I'd been working with this guy. Oh, fuck it, I'll call it. An illegal a, courier business. A legal courier business. A legal one. A legal one. Okay. So we're not we're not doing anything legal. We've got books. We're part of company's You're house. Legit right now. I've got a sign written van. I've got a number on the side, you know. <laughs> this van? This said van, yeah. This? <laughs> this van? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, the van, yeah. So, um, and uh, I'd, uh, I wasn't, didn't have a lot of work and I, I was in the, low is it criminal fertility quite low yeah and uh, someone said to me look if you just uh, if you just take this bag to London it, all it is is money no dramas you'll be all good so I was like yeah Sam no worries how much were they going to give you uh, a grand a go okay so and it was just take it drop it off come back don't take any drugs that was drug money uh, yeah obviously yeah okay. and we're talking like I looked once we're talking half a million quid like like big, big bit of cash you know? so now you're clicking up with the big boys yeah and uh, the guy, the guy who who, who I work with, I'll, I'll name him. Fuck it, Lawrence Kilby, because you can find him online. Part of your case, yeah, part of my case. Top guy, got eighteen years. Um, uh, he would basically, uh, I would do all sorts of driving. So he had his own uh, race garage. So I'd pick up car parts for him, things like that. So it was all intermingled, and then suddenly it became more. Uh, could you uh, go and meet this guy in labour? Yeah, no worries. I go meet the guy in labour. They give me a bag. I put it in the back of the van. Da-da-da-da, no problem. And uh, I probably done officially in my case. I've done uh, f- officially in my case. I got done for six trips because in England they do they do it in a in an amount of uh, that you, so if you've done like hundred grams, it'd be so much time. If you've done uh, five hundred grams, it'd be, and then they, they wanted to be get get me over the five kilo the five kilo batch, which I'd start at fifteen years. Yeah, but I, I, what I said is because uh, they couldn't prove that every trip I'd done was coke i said someone's money someone's coke officially it's six trips four with coke and two with money all right so first time you do a money trip are you thinking this is money it's not drugs i'm thinking i'm providing a service for the community okay so you're not (laughs) thinking that like your heart's not going like crazy thinking i could get a big sentence out of this not at all when it moved over to coke 
did that change what you thought if what would happen if you got arrested? Well, I, what happened through this this period is I started to use a lot of coke. You were using coke. Yeah, I was using a lot of coke at that. So point. you're driving on coke off my face. Did you have any equipment? For example, my smugglers had uh, raid, police no. radar detectors no, and no, radio. No. You can no, use no, police no, radio no, calls. No, and stuff no, like that. no, 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 okay. no. We were like very blatant. I think when you look back yeah. at it, we were blatant as yeah. fuck. Gotcha. You know, <laughs> and um, so you're coked off your tits. Yeah, dr- driving driving kilos of coke around. Yeah, and because you're on coke, you're invincible. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, and. Um, you're immune to the consequences, or you're com- numb to it. Uh, I'm completely oblivious to the consequences. Right. Yeah, I've got, you know, I'll be honest with you, the consequences uh, only really hit me when we all got sentenced, you know. Yeah. And the judge, uh, I can't remember his name now, he gave like 134 years between, I think it was eight or nine of us. No one died, and nobody was forced to do anything out of their own will. Everybody willingly did what they wanted to do. And I'd like to say, well, now when I look back at it, uh, addict, uh, addict, um, addicts like myself, we don't really have much of a choice. Let's just go back a bit yeah. before we get to all this. Are your superiors in the criminal organisation kind of schooling you in any way, for example? No. Not, you know, if you get pulled over... Don't say anything to the cops. Cop, we've got lawyers that yeah. will deal with this. All, they, they, they give you all that. They give you all that shit. They, they give you all that. All that. Sh- yeah, they give you all that shit when you're when you're doing the work for them. But when they actually get arrested, they ain't fuck all, mate. Oh, they didn't follow through. Absolutely fuck all. Because people who work for me all had legal benefits. They would yeah. get bail money. They get a lawyer assigned. If they didn't have a criminal record, they would get bailed out. I lost one guy in France. Best we could get in was like two or three, three years in a French prison for international smuggling. Right. But, um, and that kind of, you know, created a loyalty. People wouldn't have an incentive to snitch and stuff like that. Well, that, that, that I had a loyalty. I went no comment all the way, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that was uh, uh, it's quite hard for me because I'm a talker, you know. I want to, I want to, <laughs> I want to talk, you know. But I, so, I, over what period of time are you doing? Is it six trips before you get caught? No, I, I done, um, I done way more than six trips okay and what, over how many months was you a courier a coke courier three and a half years for three and a half years yeah so you you, you weren't high on coke for all these no, trips were no you? no it was gradually going up and up and up but the start was like I was just doing a little bit of the weekend yeah and it wasn't a problem then I started to get a little bit of debt and someone was like oh you can do this to sort of bill out I was like yeah no worries I'll have a go at that and you must be making some good money then from these trips yeah I snorted it and shagged it all away you did oh yeah yeah flat out wow but I'm not making massive amounts of money. Yeah. We're not talking 150 bags a, a mission, you know. We're talking yeah. like a grand. Once you've bloody paid it, d- done a few things, you've only got a couple hundred quid left, you know. Then you need to go again. Assuming then you're coked up, your decision-making process is scrambled, you're yeah. assuming you're not going to get caught. Where are you thinking it's all heading? You're just going to keep doing this? You're going to keep making money and just living life like yeah, that? Yeah, I'm just in denial about the situation that I'm in. I'm just see. cracking on with it. So you're just living in the present. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like they say, everyone should be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when, when you look back at it, it's like there are so many signs, yeah. Yeah. That there was a, if you look at the paperwork, there was an observation going for about four to five years. Five years, possibly tops. There was two separate ones. There was Operation Kestrel and Operation French or something like that. And uh, it was a combination of like London, uh, Bristol, even Somerset, Gloucester Police. It was a massive operation. And we're getting followed absolutely everywhere. Like, were you noticing this? Um, when I look back at it sober, yeah, I see it all. Yeah. So, for instance, the day I got arrested, I go meet this guy. I've met him a million times before. Not a million, but I've met, met him dozens of times before. Yeah. Get this pass, parcel, 
put it in the back of my van. Some guy walks past me and goes, you all right? I'm like, all right, mate. When you look back in the depths, that's Socko, Socko officer, who's saying hello to me, saying to me, bright orange T-shirt, I'll never forget it, bright orange T-shirt. He's a serious organised crime yeah. association or agency or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. So they were on us, like, flat out. Yeah. And previously, some people have been arrested and you're never really sure, you know, what's said and what's not said, you know. Yeah, in my case, there was 10 witness statements that got the ball rolling. And when I read the police discovery, cops were just like going in the Indian restaurant and getting the table next to me and all the times that they followed me and chased me and did all this stuff in the cars. It's, it blows your mind, doesn't it? When you read yeah, it all when from you, a sober perspective yeah. and look back at all the insane shit you you're did like, when you were high. Yeah, you, yeah, you're like, oh my God, like, yeah. you almost deserve to be there. But one thing I've got to say now is the most relieving experience of my life has actually been handcuffed. And it actually being over. Are you into S&M? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually being over and I'm knowing like now it's over. I don't yeah. have to do it anymore. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I thought, oh, I was just going to get three years, two years, a year or whatever, do six months behind the door. Take us slowly through yeah. the day of your arrest. Okay, so um, so my my then boss at the time, he rang me and said, can you do me a favour? Well, first off, what day is this and what year? Okay, this is uh, February the 11th, 2011. And I think it was a Wednesday, does it say in there? Somewhere it might have been a Wednesday or a Tuesday. That's a different, that's a different arrest, oh, that one. I don't know. Anyway, so it, was, uh, it was February the 11th in 2011. And uh, I get a phone call from the Lawrence Kilby at the time. And he says to me, uh, can you do me a favour? And I said to him, look, <clears throat> I do these favours to you all the time. I'm not feeling good about this. And I don't want to do it. This is Mr. Big. Yeah, I said, I don't want to do it. I feel funny about it. He's like, please do it. I'll give you an extra 500 quid. All you got to do is go down to a normal place, pick it up, take it to see and go, go to Oxford. Where's the normal place? Uh, in Clevedon, in Bristol, the other side of Bristol. It's got to Bristol. Yeah, so you've got the other and side of Bristol. And you got to take it to London because it's bringing in for the port. So, so basically what was happening is our, uh, cons- our uh, f- criminal uh, organised crime family, whatever they call it, uh, we were getting it in from to Heathrow, and then it was being transported by this man here, Chapman, who, who stammered when he got her arrested, down to Cheltenham. And then it's taken to Bristol. Then it's re-smashed up, repressed into, you know, from 70 to 90%, down to about 9 to 22%. And I was just going to pick up a bit of repress and drop a bit off. So when you say it's coming in Heathrow, it's getting flown in? It's coming in from Heathrow for a baggage. It was a baggage, uh, a baggage firm, a company that done baggage, basically. It was a... Isn't uh, say um, yeah the the guy the guy's name was I well I'm not going to say that one. They were Serbian basically Serbian mafia. So okay, they, they yeah, let's not, it, let's not put yeah, any Serbian yeah, mafia yeah, names yeah. out there. <laughs> uh, so, the Serbian so, so, mafia uh, were flying, flying it in, it in through yeah. a baggage company. So they are their the own baggage haulage company. So it would come in, and wow. then this guy here, who said I can say his name, David Chapman, he would go and pick it up, bring it back, take it to be repressed, and then that's where I would come in. And then uh, move it from the repress to the to distribute it around the rest of the southwest of England. Basically. So coke doesn't grow in Serbia. Where's, no. where's the coke coming from? Um, I'm assuming it's coming from Brazil, Colombia. So it's you know, coming. I, I, I have. I, so um, one of the times we pick something up from the airport, mm-hmm. and uh, they come out with three bricks in in backgammon cases, stitched mm. into backgammon cases. Yeah. And we get them out and they've got the scorpion st- stamp on the front, okay. which only means one thing. It's coming from... Colombia. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, that is the only time I ever saw the pure, the purest stuff. Yeah. I never, ever saw the super pure stuff other than that one time. Right. 
Okay, so yeah. we've got the route down. Yeah. All so, right, you're going through your day of your so arrest. So basically, uh, my mate, my, my boss rings me and says, can I, uh, can I do a trip? I say, I don't want to do it. In the end, he talks me into it. I set off, I drive down to, I, I'm living in Cheltenham, basically, which is uh, on the M5, M5, M4 corridor mm-hmm. in the southwest of England. And I drive down to Cleveland to meet a guy who I've probably met, you know, a dozen, two dozen times before. Mm-hmm. In the same place where I'd always meet him. We had uh, numerous phones. I'd ring him. I'm on my way. Drive down there. Pull over. Uh, Cleveland, there's like a pier, big pier. Pull over there. It was, I think it was the guy's birthday, so I took him out for some breakfast. We had some food. He then said, uh, you know, uh, he passed me a rucksack. I said, do you want to lift back to your flat? He's like, yeah, mate. So I go to the back of my flat, uh, back of my van. This is at about 20 past 12 on the 11th of February. <clears throat> uh, put this, uh, take some stuff out of my van. I had a, a cutout secret compartment in the boot of my van, which to the police shows uh, that I have intent to do it again. Mm. that I've planned to do it. Mm. It's not a one-off thing. Uh, and a guy walks past me uh, and he says, are you all right, mate? And I said, yeah, yeah, all right. He's wearing a bright orange T-shirt. And later I find out in the de- de- in my depositions, which I don't know what that is in America, but in my depths, that he is a, a soccer officer. And there are about 12 soccer officers all around me at this time. And because of the state I'm in, I don't even realise that it's happening. So that's serious organised crime police. Yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't know what that equivalent is in America, but it yeah. is... They're, I've heard they've got a 99% conviction rate. Like the feds. Basically, if they're on your case, you're fucked. Yeah. And um, so I, I put this uh, parcel in the back of my van. I get back in the front of the car. I say to the guy, do you want a lift home? He's like, yeah, mate, no worries. So I give him a lift home. When he gets out of the van, I go, I'll see you next week. Which shows intent that I'm going to be there next week. Mm. And they've uh, they've heard me say this. <laughs> so now when you look back at it, it's fucking stupid. Yeah, mm. stupidity is insane. Anyway, so I, I get back in the car, I set off up, uh, back up to Cheltenham, and, and right at the last minute, I'm literally about to go on to Oxford. My boss rings me and says, look, you have to uh, wait for an hour because they're not ready for you in, in Oxford. Mm. And I jokingly said, I'll go wait at your house because I had a load of his fucking coke in the back of my van. I was like, I'll go sit and wait at your house having mm. a joke. Anyway, so I come off the... Uh, uh, A417 in in, uh, in Cheltenham and I get onto the A46 the Sherrington Road and again in hindsight when you look back it was f- fucking rosas everywhere on every every little pull in there was a policeman but you know when you're high and on a mission and your destination is to get home mm. I'm just setting off and I'm missioning and anyway, I come up to a set of traffic lights and I'm at the traffic lights and in my rear view mirror I can laugh now because it's quite funny I can see a police car absolutely flying down the middle of the road and I'm like, oh, shit, I better wait here while this guy goes on because he's obviously on a mission. Mm. Anyway, he pulls right in front of me. Uh, my ass falls out and I'm like, <laughs> fuck. Jump out of the car. But previously, a week before, <clears throat> I'd had an argument with, a girlfriend, with my girlfriend and I'd been driving out to the countryside and I had uh, gone over a, a blocked line in front of a policeman. They pulled me over. And the first thing he said to me when I got out of the car is, you got any drugs in your car, Mr. Garnier? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? And they'd done me for what they do in England is they drive me that due care and attention act. And if I'd been stopped again over a year, I'd have lost my license. Mm. So when I jumped out the car of the, of, the va- of the van on the day of the arrest, I said, you know what? He said, You're, we've been done for dangerous driving. I said, you can't do that. I'm going to lose my license. And he said to me, that's the least your worries, mate. And I'm like, oh, whatever. Anyway, so handcuffs me straight away. Bang, handcuffed. Yeah. And uh, I, I've been a big pot smoker all my life. So I smoke a lot of, I've smoked a lot of pot. And I obviously stank a pot. 
Anyway, so they're like, we're taking it back to the station. This is like two o'clock in the middle of the day on a massive street in the middle of Cheltenham. Mm. I, so I go back to the police station. I'm standing outside and I'm handcuffed. So I pro, I've left Clevedon at about half 12. I've got to Cheltenham by about 10 to 2. And I'm down at the police station by about quarter past two. Wow. And they've driven my van down. When I've got in the, in the back of the police car, these two police officers are having a laugh because they, they know how fucked I am because they know what's going on. And they're saying, oh, you, you smell weed, mate, in the back of the car. You got any weed on you, mate? It's taking a piss out of me. And I'm like, oh, fucking, thinking, thinking, oh, do they know what's going on? Anyways, I get to the police station, standing outside. 20 minutes later, a policeman comes up to me and goes, arrest me. And says, Mr. Garnier, we're arresting you for intent to supply. This isn't a conspiracy at this point. Intent to supply class A drugs. And at the end of it, he goes, you're in loads of shit, mate. Said that to my face. And I'm like, what, 31? My family, uh, uh, um, my family would be absolutely appalled by what's going on. Um, uh, sorry. Yeah, so my family would be completely appalled. And all, all I'm thinking about is whether I'm going to get fucking killed for what's happened, the money I've lost, things like that, the, the drugs I've lost, whether I'm going to go straight to jail. Anyway, I'll get interviewed by the police. I've got no comment. Because I'm petrified because I'm working with a firm that I wouldn't want to piss off. Well, you know, you did the right thing. So many people get arrested and the police say, look, we'll make it better for you. Just tell us what happened and, we'll, you know, you'll get a light sentence. It's all bollocks. And it's all bollocks. They open their mouths and the police use every single word against they've them. said against them. Look at poor old Brendan Dassey on yeah. making a murder. That's absolutely heartbreaking. So... Um, you did the exact right thing. You you you, you exercised your right to remain silent. Yeah. So are they getting pissed off at you because oh, yeah, you're not yeah, cooperating? Well pissed, off, well pissed off. And I'm thinking... Could they sit sit you down and just look at you and be like trying to get you to talk, yeah. goad you. And what the, what they do is they ask you questions that you can easily answer. You know, just like normal questions about what you've been to doing. To get you the, talking. To get you to say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I, I've been arrested previously. Mm -hmm. So I have been interviewed before. Okay. I have got no comment before, but nothing okay. ever really a major. It was, uh, I, I got pulled over in a car at like four o'clock in the morning. I had 18 pills at my house. They yeah. went and raided my house when I was 18. Just little things like that. So you were a kid. Oh, overall, I think it was like six drug offences until this one. They were all small ones, like yeah. uh, Blimmer Park when I was driving. Just stuff like that. Yeah. That's a little bit of hash for other people who are watching. Yeah. And um, Things that the police shouldn't be wasting the time on in the first yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've lost my train of thought now. So I've been arrested. They're, 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 um, so you're exercising your right to remain right silent. silent. And, uh, what happens next? They give me bail. They gave you bail. How bail. much? Uh, nothing. They're, 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 no. No, no fee, no money. They just give you bail. Oh, they just let you go? They let me go, yeah. They let me go on bail. Because they wanted to follow you. Well, this is it. So yeah. I come out of the police station and my boss, who I picked the thing up for, he lived like within less than a mile away and I knew his number off by heart. The funny thing the police did is when I left, they said to me, this is quite important, oh, do you want any numbers out of your phone, mate? I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I wouldn't mind a couple of numbers out of my phone. So I took a load of random numbers, nothing that was in, that would be any use. But it was a trick that I was like, you, you know, <laughs> you, you little bastards. Anyway, so I ring, I know the guy's number, I ring him from a payphone, and I, I walk out of the police station, and I'm not shitting you, I walk out, I go to like a, a green, and there's a fucking car just driving around us. 
And I, I've been in the cells. I've just been arrested with a kilo of coke. That's definitely old Bill on my case. So That's definitely just, the police. They're just they're like following you now. So like, then I'm, I ring the guy and I, and I say to him, look, I've got the, I, I'm, I'm out. I don't know how I'm out, but I'm fucked basically. He was like, come and meet me in this alleyway now and we'll talk about it. So I managed to lose these, this car, whether it was police or not, I don't know. Uh, and, I, and I speak to him and I say to him, look, I've been arrested. I don't want no comment. Uh, you know, I need you need to sort me out. You know, I need to sort it out. I've got, and he goes, don't worry, I'll give you 25 grand. Just don't say nothing. Everything will be fine. And at this point, it's me and one other guy has been arrested. This guy here, David Chapman, he got arrested with three kilos of 87%. All right, let's um, stop a second then. Yeah. And I shall read this paperwork to um, witness statement. At approximately 12.30 hours on Friday, the 19th of November, 2010, I was on duty in full uniform, accompanied by PC-156 under the call sign ARV-9. At this time, we had just merged with Junction 1 on the M40 heading northbound, having entered from the A40 Denham. Ahead of us in the distance, my attention was drawn to a silver vehicle in lane 3, driving at excessive speed. General traffic conditions, blah, blah, blah. We accelerated in order to catch up with the silver vehicle. Match the vehicle's speed. It's going 100 miles an hour. It pulled off at junction 2. With us directly behind it, I could see there was only one occupant in the Saab. It headed into the services. Pulled over in a car parking space. I approached the vehicle. Driver immediately exited and started to walk off. I asked him to stop, and he stated he needed to go to the toilet. <laughs> if you get pulled over by the police, the New Mexico Mafia said to me, look, tell them you can't search the car. I'm in a hurry. I've got to get somewhere, because they have no right to search your car. I need to go to the toilet. That's good enough, isn't it? I like this guy already. Um, let's see. <laughs> Explain to the male... But the reason we stopped him was because the manner of his driving, Chapman appeared to be extremely nervous. He was stammering his words. Was he high on coke as well? No, no, no. But he, yeah. And I could see that not only were his hands shaking, but his entire body was, was shaking. I asked Chapman what was making him so nervous. And he again replied he, he, he needed to go to the toilet. I asked the male if there was anything within the vehicle that should not be there, and he said no. Is there anything in the car that shouldn't be there? Again, before stammering, no. Chapman was unable to look me in the eye. His entire body was shaking even more. And at one stage, I thought he was going to faint. Several times, he made half-hearted attempts to walk away, and I detained him. I explained that due to his extremely nervous behavior, I intended to search him and the vehicle. Upon this, his knees buckled slightly. (laughs) At this time, I had reasonable grounds due to Chapman's extreme nervous behavior that he was concealing something illegal. So they need, in America, it's called probable cause to search your house, to search your vehicle, a warrant, or somebody to say, I just got drugs from that person, etc. So in this case, um, reasonable grounds is probable cause. I explained again to him that I intended to search him under Section 1, went through the procedure. He became even more agitated, and I suspected he may try to escape. So I handcuffed him, 
in the rear back-to-back position and searched the mail. Nothing of interest was found on the mail. In searching the front of the vehicle, another unit was close by and arrived to assist. The rear seating area had a child's seat and the baby seat in the rear. There was a bag containing what looked to be gym items. In the middle of the seat, in between the child's seat and the gym bag, was a blue reusable Tesco carrier bag. I opened this, and within this, I could see a black bag. Within this, I found three large black blocks completely sealed with duct tape. I have been an officer for almost eight years and have experience in dealing with drugs. And in my experience, I would say that Class A drugs are packaged in this way. That means Schedule 1 for the Americans. Schedule 1 drugs. I immediately asked Chapman, what is this? He looked at me and didn't reply. I said to Chapman, I'm arresting you on suspicion of possession of Class A drugs with intent to supply. Caution, no reply. In order for a prompt and effective investigation by way of interview. On the same day, I seized the blocks and exhibited these as blah, blah. Chapman was taken to High Wycombe custody. I stayed with the Saab. Exhibit was booked into the police station. These are my original notes. I have been a police officer for eight, almost eight years. Wow. Tossa. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so keep yeah. going with the day of your arrest. So the day of my arrest. So uh, I so I so I send my so we're talking like ten. I wasn't in there that long, which I found was quite strange because I'd been caught with a kilo of coke, and I thought I was banged to right, going straight to jail. Yeah. And I was out within, I was out within eight hours. Yeah. And I my father was actually away on holiday at the time. So they've gone to my house and they've raided my house. And when they went to my house, they've taken my every single bank statement my dad ever had. Every, so you, live, you were living with your dad? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Every single checkbook, every check stub, you know, a stub, a stub yeah. of a checkbook. Of every bit of every bit of uh, financial information that my father had. Yeah, because they, they want it. They want they, his money. Yeah, they want, yeah. His, they want his money. And they think that he's but to do with it. Yeah. Well, my dad's like, yeah, he's... The justice system is a business model. Yeah, it's... You've come from a, well, family, yeah, got a good family, yeah. with, with, could afford to send you to private school. Yeah. You've basically opened the door now for them to get in there and try and take whatever they can. That's what the police do. Yeah. So, um, so, so, so my, so the guy... My Your dad's co- away, though. My dad's away and doesn't know. He's in Spain, yeah. What so, happens when he finds out about well, this? Well, the thing is, is um, my sister finds out about it. My sisters and my brother find out about it. Do they live there? No, no, no. They live in the same town. But because okay. the town's so small, when I've got arrested, the house has been raided, the neighbours then told my sister the domino effect and all the shit has yes. fan. And they're like, you're going to have to tell dad. You're going to have to tell dad. So basically what I've done is because I was petrified of the situation, I waited until the last possible moment to tell him. That's by phone call, I assume. I had to ring him. He was in Spain, yeah. So you I, rang him out. How said, horrible was that call? Uh, that was the second most horrific call I've had to take. The first one was my dad ringing me when I was uh, 12 and we were just leaving the house to see my mum who was dying and he told me to not bother come and to oh. tell my sisters not to bother. And I remember telling him that I'd been arrested and I was in trouble and I was going to go to jail for a bit of time but I couldn't explain on the phone because at that point I'm paranoid about you know, if my phone's been tapped and all that. It's all been listened to, yeah. So, you know, I'm, uh, I can't tell you anymore, but I didn't want my brother to have to tell him 
the story when he picked him up from the airport. Yeah. So I, I told him that's. I told him. Did your brother know you were coke courier? Nobody knew I was doing that. Okay. Nobody knew it was that 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 dark. Yeah. You know, people just used to think I would have a couple of lines and go yeah. out partying. If you're a coke courier, you don't want people to know, so that's no. the right thing. No, you don't. Yeah. Um. So uh, they've taken basically my livelihood, which is my van, and then basically uh, they just leave you. Yeah. They just leave you to well, leave you to, left self there to hang yourself. Is not what I say. Uh, give so you enough rope to hang yourself on. That's yeah. the saying, isn't it? So you're you're inside now. No, no, inside. no, no. I, I'm uh, I'm outside. I'm okay. uh, so I got arrested on uh, February the 11th, uh, 2011, and uh, I actually uh, so then uh, I was out until July the 9th, and uh, on July the 6th. Oh, so you had a four month run. Yeah, yeah, I had four months out. And are you having like? Um, was it good? A clandestine meetings with the guy, and he's saying, "Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Everything's gonna be fine." And you're having good fellas moments where helicopters <laughs> well, are falling you around. You, you're like, you, you think you think it's like that, <laughs> <laughs> but it was more, you know. Did he, did he follow through with this twenty five grand? Did he for fuck? Lawyer? No, he's a grass mate. Let's guess right. He grassed me up. So but he, we'll get to that bit. The bigger guys sacrificed the little guys. The bigger guys sacrificed all of us, mate. Fuck, man. I, I actually wanted to bring the, the, all the depths in, but I got boxes and boxes. I think them, this is quite enough. And I couldn't, I couldn't find them. I couldn't find them all. Keep them. <laughs> I'm going to burn them after this. I feel this is a bit of a, a cathartic experience for me to tell my story. Oh, and I, I can put it to that. bed. I'm, I'm glad that you've said that. Yeah. yeah. We had Sean Sweeney on here and he said something similar. Uh, he'd been on. The, the, the weed guy. The yeah, murder. yeah. He, he, the car, he, 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 he said that he was surprised that people were so interested in his story and so supportive of yeah. him. I think some people have even reached out on YouTube and like, because he said he couldn't get a job or anything yeah. and like tried to help him. Yeah. So it's good that um, people can come on the podcast and it can help them in their lives. Pepsi Watson as well. Some people donated to him and he um, had the resources then to move to London. So that made a big like change I've got in to say life. that those stories are nothing like my, uh, I'm not a violent person. I've never been in a fight. I've, I've, tried, I've always tried to talk my way out of it. And up, and up to today, touch wood, I, I mani- I, I've managed to do that. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a violent person either. I'm, I'm, you know, look at the size of me compared to these guys in prison I was yeah. hanging out with. Yeah. But I think people are fascinated by the contrast of someone like you yeah. going in one of these dark places. So during these months, you're out. Yeah, I'm flat out. You're, you're out and um, you, you have meetings with the big guy in the yeah. alleys. And he's saying like, yeah, no worries, everything's going to be fine. When did and, the police reel you back in? Uh, July the 6th. What's the circumstances of that day? Um, basically, they rounded everybody up. They rounded, there was, uh, there was, I think there was 14 of us, and they rounded everybody up. And I was, so like, uh, so basically this guy, Lawrence Kilby, he was married to um, someone called Flora Vesti, who is Lord Vesti's daughter. Okay. I don't know if you know who Lord Vesti is. He's the uh, uh, best friend of the Queen. We know Lord Moynihan is, but not Lord Vesti. Yeah, yeah Lord Vesti, so he's the, the house... The horse masters, something of the guards of the, of the queen, you know, okay, very so high up. So this guy's married to a very important person, yeah. So he's clicked up with the blue. Yeah, bloods. yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, he 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 ditched his he ditched his daughter, and nine months later, we all got fucked. So we we all know where it all comes from at the end of the day, you know, yeah. So um, we get I I get a phone call, and I'm at this woman's this uh, Flora Vesti's wedding, and I get a phone call from my neighbour. And he goes, I, I don't mean to alarm you, James, but there are literally about 40 stormtroopers outside your house, all with dogs. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, I find out that they're raiding my house and they've got, they've, ring, they've got everybody. There's like 14 of us. I can't name them all. But if you go online, 
So it's a Frenchy connection. You will find out who they the are. The Frenchy connection. How are you spelling Frenchy? Uh, F-R-E-N-C-H-E-Y, I think. So if the sceptics out there that think that you've faked all your paperwork, yeah. go on Google, put in the Frenchy connection, as he's just spelt it, and you will find his case. Now you could put my name, William Garnier, in there. William Garnier. How are you spelling Garnier? Uh, G-A-R-N-I-E-R, like the shampoo. Okay, there you go, Google <laughs> freaks. <laughs> and the next one would be Lawrence Kilby. Uh, Kilby spelt K-I-L-B-Y. And how's Lawrence spelt? Uh, L-A-U-R-E-N-S. It's got a W. Uh, L-A-W, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's got a W in it. Not Lawrence of Arabia, then. No, absolute. Our absolute, yeah. We. I don't, yeah. Yeah, all right. Got, so you're getting yeah. raided now. Yeah, so I'm getting raided, and I'm I've got a, a I'm in a car which isn't registered to me, which is a lucky thing. So I drive straight down to the countryside, and I, I go to a friend of mine, and I ring my solicitor at the time, and I say, "Look, they're raiding my house. What the fuck do I do? They don't know where I am." My dad's ringing me, saying, "Oh, I'm on the phone to him." He's like, "Yeah, they're in your bedroom. They're they're, they're in his bedroom right now. They're in his." And I'm like, "Right, okay. Well, I bet." So I go to go undercover, and a, a little bit of thinking, think a little bit of me thinks I could probably go on a run and get away with it, but. I speak to my sister and he says, look, just, uh, uh, you're going to have to hand yourself in. I said, well, I'm not doing it without you there. He was a very good drug solicitor from down in Wales. I won't mention his name because he's retired now. So he met me there and uh, that's when they said to me outside that I was being arrested on a conspiracy to supply Class A drugs with a list of unnamed people. So they weren't going to tell me who I was in the conspiracy for. So this, this is on, ju- this is on July lawyer, 6th. Your lawyer is going to be a, a good person in this story. Yeah, he's a good man. Because a lot of lawyers, they come and promise you the world and you give them the money and then that's it. No, he said I was fucked from day one. Okay, so he, <laughs> he kept, said, look, mate, you're fucked. It's damage limitation. You know? he kept your expectations yeah. realistic. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm there. It's like six o'clock. I, 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 uh, I can't remember when the 6th of July was. I think it might have been a Thursday or something, Wednesday or Thursday. And uh, when I walk into the police station, <laughs> it's quite hot. I remember walking in and on my right hand side, I seen the guy I got the coke from. And then I seen the cells and I said, my boss's shoes and like three other sets of shoes I recognise. And I was like, shit, we're all fucked. There's no Serbian mafia in there. Not at this point, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> the guy, the, the Serbian guy, actually, uh, the funny story about him is he got away and he handed himself in. And because he handed himself in, he got eight years. Okay. He got less than I did. And he okay. was the top guy. Wow. But anyway, that, that I only found out about that about three years later into my sentence. That's yeah. what he got. Yeah. So how are you feeling then when all this evidence is apparent? What's going through your head? Are you sober now? Um, no, no, no. I'm not sober at that point. I'm not. I'm not sober for about another uh, four or five days. Is the shock of the situation sobering you up? Uh, sitting in the cell for the second day in the same clothes, having been shown video footage of me all over the place. Like I said to you on the phone, uh, the uh, the judge summed me up as a busy little bee. <laughs> So I was busy, you know, I got about and they had footage of me doing stuff. I don't even remember doing it. I don't even remember being in a lay-by, meeting people, a lot of lay-by meetings, yeah, a lot. <laughs> so uh, they're interviewing me and now we're in the interview and I'm going, no comment, no comment. And uh, I'll never forget the guy, DC Forster's name is. And uh, he said to me, uh, you know, next door we've got your mate, uh, Lawrence Kilby, and he is shitting on a lot of you. And I'm like, no, he ain't doing that. I'm saying, I'm saying to my sister, he's definitely not doing that. And my sister's going, they don't, don't count on it. But I think there's no way he's going to do it. No way he's going to do it. It's the, old, it's the it. oldest trick, isn't it? No, Put them all in separate rooms and say, he's snitching, he's snitching. No, one, no one's going to do it. But yeah. he, he, he did. It, he basically had 13 tapes, 13 hour, hour and a half long tapes. 
So he's talked for, you know, 15, 16 hours about his life, about everything about apart from the case, you know? And there was a there was a phone, basically. And he was saying that it was my phone. But it was in Romania when he was in Romania. You know, they do this cell tower ping, you know, yeah. and they can say, oh, you were you were there at that time. And there's a dirty phone. John's phone, 916. It was at the same place as you were. Yeah. And we're saying that that phone's with you. They were doing all that. And I'm going, no comment, no comment, no comment. Whereas next all this grass is basically saying it's nothing to do with me. It's all Chapman and Garnier. And I'm like right at the bottom of the tree. There's only one guy who's lower than me, and that's the guy who smashes it up. Yeah? I'm the lowest uh, low, you know? Uh, and in the end, after th- three days of a uh, interview, we get uh, sent down to Cheltenham Magistrate Court. Or, is it Mag? Yeah. This, this, the Mag Court. And they, they remind us to cross the jail. And I'm put in a cell with, this, with my code E. Are the me. media jumping on this at the court? Uh, not, so. not at the moment. Not at that point. Because there was a... Uh, a press... A gag order. Gag order on it because of the Lord Vesty thing and the, you know, the size of the case. And um, he is put in the cell with me, uh, my co who at this time is my best mate because I don't know what he said and I don't know what he's done. And he, he's, he's diabetic, yeah? And I saved his life on the first night. You know, I'd done shit to sort him out, you know? He was a good mate of mine. I'm actually pretty gutted about it that he'd stitched me up like this. Did he need some sugar? Yeah, I should have. Yeah. But in the end, we got it sorted. About two months down the line, we get the depths. And I'm reading what he said. Like, that it's me. It's my phone. And that it was my coke. And it was my money. And he had nothing to do with it. And uh, we're having a massive argument in, uh, on uh, A-Wing in Gloucester. And the, and the officers, or what do you call them? We call them prison officers. You call them guards. guards. They come to the door and go, you want to fucking sort your story out, mate? Because the whole fucking wing can hear it, mate. And if you don't sort out, we're going to split you up. Three days later, got JC, Judge and Chambers. Do, you, do, do, do people know what that Judge and Chambers is? No, I don't is? know what that means. Judge and Chambers is basically, he's gone to the judge, in front of the judge, and said, I deserve bail for this reason. I can put this collateral down. Can I go? They let him go. So he goes out of the cell, leaves me in the cell on my own, yeah? Then, I, and then he goes to my dad's house. He says to my dad, he's got absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah, he's got nothing to do with the case. And it's all bullshit. And he's out until, so we probably got, so we probably got out about November and the case was like 17 months, 16 months later. So we had 16 months out on, on a tag or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. All the time slagging us all off, telling it every it was us. Yeah. And I'm going there, gone guilty straight away on the first court appearance. I've gone guilty because it's damage limitation at that point. You're pleading guilty. Yeah, straight away. To just try and get a I'm pleading guilty to uh, a courier, but we're yet to determine the, determine the terms of what the actual bowl was. Yeah. Yeah. So because it's so much coke, you're going to get this big sentence, relatively yeah, big I'm sentence. trying to basically get, I'm trying to get under a starting of 15 years. I've got to get at the, at the five to 10. Cause it, like I said before, it runs like in this like stages of amount and they always want to get you on the most. And I, and I basically, I thought they had me doing everything, you know, the amount of evidence they've shown you. Because what they do is they bombard you with the amount of evidence you've got, though. So you're just like, that, that, like in rabbit in the headlights, you don't know what to say. It's throwing mud, and then they know all, only a little bit of it has got to stick yeah. to get you. Yeah. So the day you were sentenced, run us through that. Okay, so um, I'd been... Um, uh, so I'd been... Um, I'd been on remand for about 18 months, 
and I went we because our case was so big we were going down to Bristol because there was like uh, it was set into two separate trials there was like four people before and then eight people after and we're getting sentenced and I haven't seen that I didn't I didn't see any of the trial because I'd gone guilty and uh, I heard that my co-defendant was being extremely arrogant to the judge refusing any responsibility and I'm not joking right we're getting sentenced and he's got his feet up on the on the side no. he's got his hands like this like, oh. like, like that, yeah. And we and and he, he starts off. The judge starts off and goes, "Mr. Kilby, you're an arrogant. Da 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 da. You've used your uh, powers of whatever p- powers of manipulation to manipulate all these people into doing whatever. I'm going to give you 18 years." And we're like, "Fuck." Next guy, uh, Vladan Vlasovic. We're going to give you 18 years. Then they go to me, Mr. Garnier. You've been a busy little bee. I'm going to give you 10 years. Going to start with 10. But because you were honest right at the beginning and you accept responsibility for what you've done, I'm going to give you 33% off. So that leaves you with six years, eight months. So I'm like, okay, next guy, 16 years. Next guy, 14 years. I'm thinking, fucking hell. I've got got away with it at the end of the day. I'm only got to do three years, four months behind the door. I've already done 18 months. I've kicked the... I've done half it. I'm on the way back in, basically. So on that sentencing day, that must have been a relief to you because... Getting sentenced to nine and a half years to me was one of the happiest days of my life because yeah. I was facing 200. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know how that relief sets yeah. in because then you see, I'm going to get my life back at exactly, exactly this that point day, yeah. time. It was yeah. the 5th of it, uh, November 2014 or something like that, 2015. What were conditions like in the remand jail? So um, I did have a bit of an issue with bullying in, uh, in Gloucester. Um, I've heard, um, I'm not quite sure, I've, I've watched your podcast, but someone said about a debt being passed on. A debt being passed so on by, wait, wait, from a soulmate. So your soulmate... Is that you, Pepsi Watts? Can we well, remember? Who was it? Said, some, said that? Can't remember. So I, I'm not quite sure it was. Okay, go on. But, one, but I had a friend of mine who, who, who I'd been padded up for like, you know, four or five months. I know him pretty well. So this is your soulmate? Yeah, he's yeah. a good mate of mine. Anyway, he, he gets he gets uh, bail. So he goes from the, in the morning, don't pay his debt. Someone comes and knocks on my door and says, oh, uh, your, your man, your old soulmate, owes me two ounces of burn. And you owe me that burn now. And we know you've got it in your cell because we know you've got burned, so you can fucking give it to me. So two ounces of tobacco. Two ounces of tobacco, which is what, like 26 quid or something? Or $40. 20, it's, it's like, I, I, it's nothing, you know. He's like, we're going to fuck you up for it. And I'm like, it's, got, it's not my bill, mate. Did and you know he had the debt? No. He didn't even know he had no. the debt. And the thing was, is like, you now know that that guy knew exactly what was happening. He knew he ticked it. He knew he was going to go. Yeah. A ticking it is taking on credit. Uh, he knew he was going to go and he knew he was going to stitch me up. Right. And this How is did a, you get out of that situation? Uh, well, I had a, a couple of people who really helped me out. Uh, f- uh, one of them, uh, we used to call him Stretch, big black guy stuck up for me and said, you know, he used to take me down to, to, the, to the gym and these people were fucking calling me grasses and all sorts of shit. And I'd done nothing wrong, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like you say, I watched the thing about the snitch jacket. People calling people snitches are usually the snitches themselves yeah. and they're doing it to hide what, yeah. they've, what they've done. Yeah. And uh, it was it was probably five, five, six, seven weeks where I wouldn't really come out my cell. I refused to eat. And that, I found out, was probably the worst thing to do because that makes you a target. Oh, no, slow down. You, you wouldn't come out your cell no. and you were refusing to eat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely refusing to eat. Are you I, eating I just, stuff in your cell? I would eat stuff in my cell, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't go out myself. You wouldn't go to the chow no, area. No, 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 no. Because you were fear, fear, I fear, fear, fearful of what's going to happen to me because over, of the death. over two ounces of fucking tobacco. Yeah, you know. And in the end, the guy who was on me got shipped out. Well, that just makes it worse. That made the situation yeah, worse. Yeah, because I. It's my fault. The guy's been shipped out, and all his mates are like. Blah, blah, blah. 
Oh, no, they think you've yeah, dropped a dime yeah, on yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And at the end gotcha. of the day, I'm just a qu- quite a quiet guy. You can't mind your own business cell, in prison. Who likes to read a book and listen to some techno in my cell and not do fuck you all, really. You just cannot mind your own business in prison. There you are know. people in there. I was told early on it's high school mentality with yeah. deadly consequences. That, yeah, yeah. And if you're hiding out in your cell, they're thinking this guy's that's weak. Up, yeah, it's got something going on there. Yeah. Something not right about this. We've got to do something to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I can see quite easily how that could come about. Yeah. So. Um, so after the, you know, Fletch had your back and you got the situation, are you then thinking, I got to avoid this kind of stuff? I got to yeah, behave I, a bit differently. I got, yeah, I've got to change my attitude basically. Okay. So I decided to do in uh, in the England in the HMP. I don't know if they have it in the private sector. They have a thing called toe by toe mentor listeners, Samaritans, things like that. So I got quite involved in trying to help other prisoners. So you started to counsel other prisoners. Yeah, yeah. so i done, um, people would uh, say if they was like going to self-harm and they didn't want to speak to another officer, they could ring you at any time and then they come and get you out of the cell. Yeah. I'd done uh, a thing called toe-by-toe reading where you're teaching, which I, like, I, I went to a private school, I, I can read and write. I'm not amazing at it, I've got dyslexia, but in jail, uh, more than 50, 60% of people cannot read and write and you have to teach them the phonetics of the alphabet and to me, to teach someone at, but, cut, set, duh, is mind-boggling. You're like f- probably 50 and you can't read or write. Well, and go on. Um, going back to your first job. Yeah. Self-harm, because prison in America is the biggest house of the mentally ill. What kind of people were reaching out to you? Have you got any stories about these, uh, the, their, they were their situations? Like homeless people, people are coming in on like two-week sentences. Uh, I found that the Gloucester Jail was like a revolving door for the same 15, 20 people. Yeah. They were either homeless, they had no money, their family didn't like them. And they were just, I think the quickest turnaround was about six hours. You know, they'd gone out, commit a crime, come back six hours later. And these are the people who want to cut themselves up. And, and what, what level of self-harm were they doing? Uh, r- like full on uh, getting the ra- razors in the morning, putting them in the in the in the pen, slicing, going up, not across, you know, trying to do a proper job. And w- when you were talking to these people, had they just recently self-harmed? Yeah, they, they'd been, they'd self-harmed and they were bandaged up and they were saying, you know, I'm going to fucking do it again. If these if these guys don't don't come and uh, sort me out, give me some medication, I'm going to fucking kill myself. You were know? the situations talking to these people, you thought, I can't get this person under control? Um, Yeah, pretty much every single time, really. Every single time, yeah. it was But daunting. the thing is, is I'm quite a... I might not seem now, but I'm quite a placid guy. I I believe I can be quite good with my words. So I always manage to, you know, get their mind off it, you know? Yeah. And a lot of it is 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 it's it's a lot of it's drug related and what's happened to them in their childhood, you know, how they've been treated by their family, their parents, their peers. They didn't you know? have the chances we had in life, yeah. a lot of them did. I they? had a lot of I've been I'm still given chances today by my dad. I still fuck up today, you know. I'm only human. Hearing these sad stories of them in America it just opened my heart to, you know, how they got in this situation in the first place, thrown away as kids, raised on the streets, stealing by necessity um, because, you know, just to get food and stuff like that. Whereas I had money and I chose to just get in crime yeah. for the hell of it. Yeah, so to I'm, make more money. Yeah, yeah. And to have a laugh. Yeah, and it, just, <laughs> it just made me feel doubly guilty for doing what I'd done yeah. compared to these poor people. And, all right, so yeah. you, you said um, counselling people with the self-harm. Yeah. The phonetics, what, what, yeah. what else? And so, basically, uh, the big mistake I made in my uh, plea was I said I was an addict. Okay, why was that a mistake? Uh, because it fucked my sentence, sentence plan up. 
Uh, when you're in, when you're in, uh, when you get a sentence with a specific amount of time in jail, so it's not like a, and I, well, I don't do IPP now, but I'm not like a recommended 20 year lifer, you know. I've got a eight, eight year, te- I've got 10 years reduced to six, eight on an early plea. I know I'm going on the 5th of, of, May, of November. But because I've done 18 months on remand, I've lost half my time to do the, the courses that they want me to do. I had to do a thing called Wrapped, which is what Pepsi Watson spoke about. Yeah. And they were amazing. And I brought a load of bits. Uh, you do a thing like a, a daily diary. And it took me, uh, I, 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 I basically had nine months. When I finished my Wrapped program, I had nine months left on my sentence. And I had to try and get my DCAT, you know. I'd been institutionalized by that point. I'd spent a long time behind the door, a lot of time on my own. I didn't really socialize with people a lot because I don't trust people. And uh, I wanted to get to a decap, but because my case took so long and I was on remand for ages, I kind of lost the time to do the programs I needed to do. So I went to Elstoke, which is in um, Wiltshire, where they have a drug-free wing, (laughs) which is... Uh, probably the most drug-fueled wing you're ever going to be on in your whole entire life. You can get uh, pretty much any drugs you want within reason at a ridiculous price. Are the staff selling them the drugs? I didn't know about that, but I just know that they were always there coming in on visits. I didn't really see it with the staff that much. It's usually hidden. Yeah. Um, but the it's the deceit within... The community, because when you work, live in a rap thing, it's about living in a community mm-hmm. and how you're looking after each other. And when somebody uses the detrimental effect it has on the whole of the group, mm-hmm. and uh, when you're trying to help people, and I was on that program for like I did it for three months, and I was a peer supporter for three months. They just throw shit at you all the time, trying to fuck you over, and all you're trying to do is help people mm-hmm. all the time, because I just want the next person to be alright. I don't want them to struggle. I don't want them to sit in a cell and cry like I've done or like somebody else has done. You know, if if my story of about my mum and how I thought my crime was not even a crime and that I was providing a services for society can help somebody else, that's why I'm here. Let's talk about the transition yeah. from remand to prison. Yeah. Do you get you got physically moved then to another prison? Well, <laughs> I don't know about the American uh, prison system, but there is not much real, not mu- much difference between like uh, a BCAT like uh, remand jail and a BCAT working jail. Okay. So uh, I, w- I got moved to Portland from Gloucester, which is mainly a YO jail. Young offenders. Yeah, so YOs with a few uh, adults mixed in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, you have to go to work there. If they don't, they, they have this incentive earn privilege thing mm-hmm. where you're enhanced... Standard, basic. If you don't go to work, you're basic. You lose your telly, you lose your kettle, you lose everything. Yeah. So because I wanted to get out of, I didn't want any more, I, I wanted to get onto a decat, I did mm-hmm. whatever I could. And uh, I done, um, I can remember going there and it's the amount of bang up you do, you know, a lot behind the door. It's like 22 and a half hours, 22 and a half hours, 23 hours a day, every day. And uh, you get let out, and I'm like, what, th- probably 34 at that time. And I'm standing around with 16, 17, 18, well, 17, 18, 19-year-olds. And I'm thinking, these guys, I've got nothing in common with these guys. You know, but in the end, I got managed to be moved to an older block. But I had to go to do carpentry, MVQ in carpentry, which is like a, is it a GED in America? I, I don't know. Yeah, high school diploma. Yeah, it's basically, yeah. it's like that. And I'm in there with... 25 YOs, me and one other older bloke, mm-hmm. and every 
couple of days, it's a scrap. And I and like you got like you're doing carpentry for God's sake. You got nails, hammers, and planes, all sorts of shit, you know. And it's vicious, you know. And I'm not that sort of person. I don't want to be involved in that shit. That shit's gonna add time to my sentence. And I just wanna get home and carry on my life. It's like the young offenders have got something to prove. Yeah. The higher security levels it's serious if there's a beef because they will kill, kill each you. other. Yeah. So they don't have beefs that much. No. But the younger ones, it's like the slightest little thing. They just got to prove themselves, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah. So you're surrounded by that now yeah. after you've been sentenced. And I, yeah, after I've been sentenced. And I'm did, thinking. Did you see anything go off? Like. Yeah, yeah. Fight. Uh, yeah. A lot. It, the amount of. It all goes on behind the door. You, you, you don't. Unless you're part of a clique and you're part of that. That that gang or whatever, or, or that group of people, you, you ain't never really going to see it. But I've seen it kick off in the workshop probably four or five times, a couple of times weapons come out, people smashing each other over the head. And when at the end of the day they want you to make a statement or they want you to go do a judi- uh, an adjudication, you're like, are you fucking mad? Why am I going to go and say something about somebody when they're just going to bash me over the head next time they see me? But the, the uh, justice system or the prison service, they either don't understand or they don't care about it. Yeah, it, it's shocking, you know? Everyone's just going through the motions. Yeah. What was an average day like for you then? Uh, an average day would be um, get up about, uh, well, the door get unlocked. So we'll talk about, say, in Portland, uh, you get up at about half seven, uh, unlocked door. It's all like a, on a key. It's not like a electrically unlocked like in America. It's all on an individual key. Everyone gets unlocked. You have your shower. You get, you, you get a, breakfast pack the night before in your breakfast packs like so, I can't I don't think anybody understand but salted rice krispies yeah salted rice krispies salted cereal salted cereal yeah <laughs> with w- warm H- H- UHT milk okay in the middle of the summer and like yeah. 40 degrees yeah mate it's lush so you're yamming that down in the morning and you go off to your work at like 9 go to work till 11 come back they give you a bit of soup and a roll chuck you back in yourself a f- till two then you go back out from two till four come back more lock up then they feed you and you're out for about 45 minutes and then you're banged up again but every second friday they do what there is a training day and uh you are locked up from half past seven on a thursday night until quarter past three on a saturday afternoon and like i like my own time but that's a bit too much of it and i almost think it's probably illegal if you look at it what range of prison jobs were available and what was the pay? Uh, so you could do like a wing cleaner, four or five quid a week. You could be like a peer mentor, up to 12 quid a week. Uh, you could be like a orderly for the gym, maybe 18 to 20 pound a week. And probably like a top job would be reception orderly, where you might be on 30 quid a week. What gym facilities were available? Uh, everything. You've got uh, rowing machines, full CVs, full CV. So you've got rowing machines, uh, bikes, uh, treadmills. Full set of weights, all the leg presses, all the, every like a full full working gym, you know. Yeah. What about visits? What was the procedure? Uh, so um, in in Portland, um, it was um, you you basically go, you'd be sat down at the table, and your family and friends would come in. They'd have like an hour, an hour and a half, maybe two hours tops, and they'd be able to buy you just like crisps and a chocolate drink, a drink, a bit of chocolate, and you sit and talk, you can have contact. There's no, like, no, non, non-contact, no, not, 
Nothing like that. So it's the old vending machine set Yeah, the old vending machines. In some of the jails, they had like cafes and stuff where you could buy proper food, like all stuck places like that. Yeah. And I remember my friends coming in saying, you know, we take you to buy this food at this cafe and you're absolutely going mental about it, saying it's the most amazing thing you've ever eaten. <laughs> and I'm like, you want to see what we're eating inside? Like I seen a thing, Co- Cody put a thing on about prison food. Yeah. A couple of days ago, I looked yeah. at it and that's bang on what he's saying about the prison food. What did you experience in prison food? Vile, absolutely vile. But um, when you get to like a sea cat where it's a little bit more relaxed, mm-hmm. You maybe get four hours out on a Friday, on a Friday afternoon and a Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. You sort of meet people who can cook and the food they can cook in a kettle. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I have eaten some of the best curries in a kettle. You would not believe. What's the kettle recipe? Uh, so you've got like, you get your chicken yeah. from your, like your, which is all left legged chicken, by the way. So all the chicken you eat, is all left legged. There's no left and right legs. It's all lefts, yeah? Which I could never get my head around. So you get your chicken, they strip it, and they make like a Jamaican curry, rice and peas, things like that, Ooh. and a banoffee pie, but Ooh. all in a kettle and a microwave. Wow. And uh, you'd have like food boats. You know, I remember, um, is it Blinks uh, uh, talking about food boats in Long Larton? Yeah. It's a bit like that, but, you know, I'm, I'm on a lot of smaller sentence and a lot of smaller jail. But uh, a lot of the food, you just don't eat it, you know? Mm. A lot of uh, noodles, you know, noodles. And uh, for the first two years, you, you, there was no toasters. So there was no toasts. No toast at all. What about buying items from the inmate store? Did you have any preferences? No, not really. It was all, what, you mean like the canteen? Could you buy stuff that you preferred to get from the canteen? Yeah, oh yeah, I'd buy the set, yeah, what, creature of habit, you what, know? What was you spending? Or were you so buying the canteen? Buying Haribo. Sweets, Haribo. Haribo, sweet. Yeah. Uh, tins of tuna, lots of tuna. Yeah. And uh, uh, noodles, pot noodles. Yeah. And uh, quite often they'd have like a, a monthly, uh, like it's like a monthly special offers. Mm-hmm. It's like the odd bit of some beans or whatever. And, yeah. you know, just usual stuff really. What about alcohol? No. I, uh, I drank a bit of hooch. Yeah. Funny story in Gloucester where, so there was some Valium involved mm. and some hooch mm. and it turned into a 40 people... <laughs> refusing to bang up and everyone smashed all running around and when they've only got like six eight officers and we're all like going ah fuck it we're not banging up they're like oh, I just out for a bit then and in, <laughs> the end, in the end everyone just passes out you know so it was a near riot wow I don't know about riot but you know, <laughs> it was pretty laid back everyone was pretty chilled did, did anything have you like any riots go off anywhere um, a few people in Gloucester what, what I found out was it was people with the small sentences who'd never been in jail. They were the ones that couldn't handle being locked up. Mm. So the, I can remember being in Gloucester. I'd been in there two weeks. Two people had killed himself in two oh. weeks. And we had a full lockdown over a knife that had gone missing out of the kitchens. How did they kill themselves? Hung themselves. Hung themselves. Yeah. Just using the bed sheet. Yeah. Oh. And they only had like, they had days and weeks left. Yeah. And I'd been in there, I, th- I think it was like 20 days. And two people killed themselves. And I said to my then mate at the time, mm-hmm. if this is what it's like, well, fuck, I'm not going to survive, mate. It's depression, isn't it? But that was, there was only another two in the whole of my sentence. Yeah, yeah. How, being high on coke for all those years, jails are drug infested. What was the temptation level to you? Well, I, uh, I did actually, uh, I did try a bit of subutex in jail. Because, yeah. you know, being an addict, the classic thing is, I just want a night off. And subutex is what people come it's off heroin. heroin with, yeah. is it? So you could buy subutex, you could buy a mill, 
of Subitex for a half ounce of tobacco. On the black market. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that Subitex, nine times out of ten, has come from the prison itself, yeah. where the prisoner has basically figured out a way of saving his Subitex mm-hmm. by putting a pen in his mouth, whatever, pouring it in the pen. You know, and that's a lot of the ways where it would come in or you would get it, you know. How did Subutex make you feel? Very sick. Sick? Yeah, yeah. But I, but you could lie in bed for 24 hours and not worry about anything. So did you have a, <laughs> did you have a run on Subutex? Yeah, I had a little run on Subutex for about three months. Okay. And then I realised that uh, it was starting to become an issue and I was having to, I was going to probably get money sent in for it. Yeah. And at that point I said to the, I said to the, this is way early on in my sentence, so this is within the first like six months. I said, look, let move me on to a different wing. I want to do this drug free thing and the drug, another drug free thing that didn't really work, but mm-hmm. it managed to, I managed to kick the, the little habit I had. Mm-hmm. But watching it, the, the effects that, it was all about prescription drugs in jail. It's all about, uh, seroquel, uh, the serial killer they call Sorry, it. Well. Yeah, the serial killer they call it. The, the, the things they give the nuts to keep them real calm. Yeah. You bosh a couple of those and you're off your nut and they'll never know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is the spice. Yeah. Now, they call it green crack. That's mm-hmm. what they call it. And I smoked a bit of it and it is horrific. How did that make you feel? I paranoid as fuck and I flushed the shit every time after. Really? Yeah, probably a dozen times every time I flushed it. And I, and you can at that time you couldn't even get piss tested for it, but I still flushed it. What was the level of heroin use? Um, it was subutex, a lot of subutex. Because the problem with heroin is they need uh, tin foil, mm. and I didn't understand why people were going. Can you order me Kit Kats on you? Mm. I'm like, understand. I'm naive. Well, why the fuck do you want <laughs> Kit Kats? What the fuck is Kit Kats? Like? Well, they want the tin foil, don't they? Yeah. And the other one was chocolate drink. I came. Mm. Like a pot of chocolate came with a tinfoil top. Mm-hmm. And because I had stuff like that, they were all like, oh, can I have that? I'm like, just take it, man. I don't care. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Was it Chasing the Dragon, is it? Yeah. That, that, that's, what they, that's what they're doing with it, you know. But that's never really been my thing. So you weren't aware of, of much injection? No, drug no, use. no. Yeah. I didn't see a lot of it. Yeah. What was your relations like with the guards? I got on pretty well because I didn't really give them any shit. You just kept yourself to yourself. Yeah, I just... To the last 18 months of my sentence, I banged my own door up. I, sh- I shut my own door myself. Okay. So on association, I get my food, I speak to some people. If I needed to get some tobacco or whatever, I'd get a bit. Normally I was all right. Come quarter past five, I got a routine, I'm going to bang my door up. So you had your own cell at this point, yeah, no cellmate? Yeah. yeah, no cellmate. Did you have any problems with any cellmates over the years? Um, just the one that left me with the, the tobacco debt. Yeah. Yeah, that was the only one. Although I, in, when I got to a decat, I had a guy who was, um, he was a paranoid schizophrenic who smoked a lot of spice. A lot of spice. Not your ideal no, cellmate. No, no. And uh, I can remember I'd been in Prescoid for about, it had been about two weeks and I was told it was like a six week waiting list mm. and I went to the officer. I said, I said, look, I can't deal with this guy, you know. I've seen him in the jail a couple of times, like in the, uh, through the system, and I want to progress forward. I don't know what he's doing with his time, but he's, he's not going to work. Can you please move me to another cell? Yeah. And I was lucky, because I'm polite, and I, please, thank you. He was like, yeah, there's a freestyle down the end of the way. Just get in there. Don't tell no one about it. Yeah. Just don't tell no one about it. Just get on with it. Go to work, and it'll all work itself out. That's so good. I got a single cell within about three weeks. Brilliant. It's nothing quite like a single cell, no. is there? No. Yeah. Did you notice a transition in yourself over the years in yeah. prison did it change you as a person uh 
it's okay. I, I would never have been able to sit on my own uh, and uh, and not be sober. And through a lot of counselling and talking with other prisoners and other addicts, I can now sit on my own, or at the time I could sit on my own and not and not and not be scared of my own shadow. You know. Of the things I've done, the people I've done wrong to, what my addiction's done to me, made me do things to people, my close family steal things, you know. And uh, I'm ashamed of it today, and I've, and I've made an am- amends for those things. When was the first time in your life you started to feel that way about not being able to sit alone? You had this unease. Uh, when I was um, about um, uh, 17, my mum had been dead about three years, three or four years. I hadn't really talked to anybody about it. I realised I was starting to be a bit dysfunctional. And instead of telling somebody about it, I just fired a load of pot and speed and then on and on it went. So you internalised it and you were self-medicating. Yeah. And what prevents you from going back to that now? Uh, my dad's um, 87 and I don't want him to see me die in jail. He's 87? Yeah, yeah. Oh. So he was coming to drive to see me when he was like 84. Yeah. Wow. But... You know, and I do it for I, myself. I, I... It's, not, it's not for my dad. I do it for myself. When I wake up in the morning... Uh, I, I smoke pot. I like to have a smoke every now and then, and I don't see anything wrong with having a smoke with a bit of smoke pot. Adults should be able to do whatever they want, you yeah. know. But I, 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 I have. I've been clean since September the sixteenth, so I haven't been clean that long. I've had dibbles in and out since I came out of jail, but I am today, you know, clean that long. And I don't today want to use, you know. I, I have a smoke. I don't drink, you know. I, 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 I when I came out of jail, I um. I didn't know what to expect because I got a good support network around me, friends, family, people who trust me, people who know that what I'd done was out of character. I'd been given a job. I'd been working since I came out of jail. I managed to... Um, I didn't get paid a lot of money at the start, but today I'm doing an apprenticeship in stonemasonry. Fantastic. And uh, I've got a, a French guy uh, who teaches me. He's a 20-year uh, uh, master mason, and he believes I can do it. And that is all that I've wanted is someone to tell me that I can do it. Yeah. Because I, in my mind, believe I can't do it. It's just my, uh, it's just what's, just the things that have happened to me over my life have made me think that uh, I'm not worth it, you know? Besides you, the death of your mother, what else has happened that made you think that you not had bad thoughts about yourself? Um, because um, I'm the youngest um, of four, My I have uh, two sisters I have a brother and a sister who were adopted who are 55 and 50 and I've got a biological sister who is 40 okay. and when my mum died uh, she, my biological sister decided that she was going to be my mother and uh, she, she's only a few years older than me and in the end I beat the shit out of her right in front of a mate of mine what? oh my goodness when I was like 17, 18 okay and uh, I just remember that when I when I was doing it, I felt uh, a a, re- a relief is a, a relief of um, uh, a pressure, I suppose. And from that, I decided that um, I couldn't really be any. I couldn't really use any violence in case of what would happen to me in the long run. I decided to do self abuse, which is drug use. So this pressure was rising since the death of your mum and then you lashed out in this fight with your sister. Mm, it was no fight, I just beat her up. Okay. She didn't She didn't deserve it. Yeah, and what's your relationship with her like now? Uh, really bad. Is it? Yeah. 
Did they ever contact you while you were in oh, prison? Oh, when I was in jail, you? they all came to see me, yeah. Oh, they all came to see you. Yeah. Well, how did it deteriorate then after jail? Uh, when I came out of jail, I uh, got arrested again. Okay. Yeah. How? Oh, well, actually, we've jumped ahead a bit here. Um, what was your last day yeah. in jail like? Okay, so my last day on, in on jail. Sentence, yeah. I was yeah. in uh, I was in Cardiff, and and my last day. So you do your you you're giving away of all your bits and pieces to people. You know your bit of tobacco. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the mooches. Yeah, yeah. The mooches are coming. I remember that on my last night, someone stole my lighter. And I didn't have a light on my last night. And I had to get the guy upstairs to, to, to send me a, a prison light on a wick. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I gave all my bits away. They came to let me out. And then we go to processing, I suppose they call it. I go to get released, sit in a cell. They give me the clothes that I was arrested in, which is like, they don't fit me anymore. I'm like twice the man I was when I got arrested. <laughs> so I'm squeezing into these trousers, into this into these clothes and stuff, and I go outside, wait for my dad. My dad picks me up. And in uh, in the UK, you, you have to go see probation. I don't know what it's like in America. I don't know what the sentence yeah, is like. Yeah, probation. But uh, I had to go to probation. And th- 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 this is the thing I found quite strange. I was a fully-fledged drug addict coming out of jail, and I didn't once get drug tested. Did you have a post-release plan to not be... No. To nothing. remain sober or anything? Yeah, of course, yeah. But they didn't drug test me once. Okay. Not once. And that was one of the reasons why I relapsed. Because I thought, well, they're not going to test me. So why the fuck am I doing it? How long before you relapsed? Uh, it was a year and a half. What held, held you strong for that year and a half? Um, the thought of going back to jail and what so would happen was, to me. Yeah, that was a deterrent. And I didn't, didn't want to let my, myself down and my family. Is it the case in, in this country because of the nature of your first crime, if you do a lesser crime, it would aggravate your sentence on the new charge? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I got arrested. Uh, I, I literally don't know how I got away with this. I got arrested with 1,600 quid in my house, a set of scales, four grams of Coke, 12 grams of weed, and some MDMA. So you're dealing locally? Yeah, obviously, yeah, that, at that point, yeah. Uh, and what happened was, they weren't coming around my house to bust me. So I an altercation happened outside my house. They opened my door and it smelled of weed. So they came in. Probable cause. Yeah, bosh. Anyway, they put me on bail and I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to be recalled straight away. But they, they, they don't recall me. And uh, I go to court and I got four, four counts of possession and I got a £450 fine. And that was the... You are fucking lucky, mate. You get caught again, you are fucked. When they caught you this second time, yeah. and you've got all the scale and the drugs, are you then, oh, here we go again? Yeah. This is going to be five this to ten it. years Yeah, gone oh, or starting at ten. Definitely starting at ten. Starting at ten. Because I've got money, I've got multiple drugs, I've got scales, I've got like 12 phones in my house because 10 of them from the previous yeah. case. You know, I've got a bag of phones from the previous case mm-hmm. and a phone that I might that I might have been using or what, a phone that I was using. Yeah. And in the end, they actually gave me the money back and all the phones. Mm-hmm. So someone was looking down on me on that day. But that was the... Because this one was a big case. Big, big, big case. You were just doing your own thing. Yeah. Did you have a good legal representation again? I had the same one. Okay, well, he's same shit guy. hot, isn't he? Same guy, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I rang him up and he was People like, People are no, going to be putting in the comments, can you give us this guy's number, please? Michael J. Reed in, uh, <laughs> in Carmarthenshire. But he, he, yeah, it's Reed spelled R-E-E-D. <laughs> and he's a legend, so look him up. 
All right, so the fate has shone upon you. Yeah. What's your thought process at this stage of your life, and what year are we in now? Uh, we're in 2000, what, we're in 19 now, so we're 2017. So just a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it was actually uh, around about this time, this time of the year. Yeah. My, uh, it was the th- Thursday, the 17th of March. Are you clicking up with the same uh, people? The thing, uh, the thing is, is, is I've, I've, I've learned, I've, the thing about jail, it's like I've heard um, you say before, it's just a university for criminality. Yeah. I'm just meeting more contacts to do more criminality, to get better drugs at a cheaper price, mm-hmm. easily more delivered. I've got more variety and I can get more tick because I've been in jail. I've not said nothing. The people know I've got a, I'm going to be quiet. If I get caught, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do the bird and no one needs to worry. So the floodgates open at that point. That lifestyle is so addictive. Oh, it's yeah. very hard to sever yourself from it. So even though this situation has happened, fate shone upon you, how are you going to then extricate yourself from that social group? I just, um, when I got arrested, I just paid the bill, which was left to be paid, told the guy that I was probably going to be uh, uh, going to jail, and I just deleted him from my phone. And what did you do with yourself socially? Um, I uh, retracted into my shell, didn't really speak to anybody, smoked a lot of pot, didn't work for about two months. And after a while, my dad, after a while, my dad was saying, you know, you've got to sort yourself out, otherwise everybody's going to disown you. And that's where I started, got back to work. I become self-employed, started paying taxes. Today, you know, I go to work every day. And I tell you what, it sounds mental, but I get a better buzz out of the 350 quid a week I get from working my arse off all day, every day, than I'd ever got out of a trip for a thousand pound. It ain't fucking worth it. What I find interesting about your story is, in contrast to mine, one of the triggers for me was social anxiety. Yeah. I didn't think, like, I was interested enough to be around unless yeah. I was high. Yeah. But when I was on my own, I was fine. But you're on your own, and you get this anxiety. Yeah. And how have you managed to handle that now? Um, I'm still pretty anxious. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you do, like, any sports or, you know, I'm, martial I'm, arts I mix, or I mix. anything? I mix. I mix. I got a set of techniques. I got a thousand records. So music's your... Yeah, yeah, music's my... Uh, medication. My, my medication, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Whereas cool. it used to be my feeder for my drugs yeah whereas i've heard you say before that you can go into a club listen to a tune and the pill the drug of the choice at that time that you want to experience you can just turn it back on yeah i find the same if i'm having a mix uh you know i I can do the same you know can people watching this video find your mixes on soundcloud yeah yeah you can find me on soundcloud william garnier We'll put the I'll, description box in yeah. the links in the description box. And I box. play everything. Uh, do you have a YouTube channel when you mix it? I do, but I haven't got any at the moment. Do you want us to plug your YouTube channel? Yeah, yeah, definitely. This? Yeah, yeah. We'll put his uh, a description in the description box, a link to his YouTube channel as well. So it's you've been two years sober then? Uh, no, uh, September the 16th. September the 16th. So we're looking at six months now. Do you ever feel at risk of relapse? Yes. What, On a weekly what, basis. Weekly basis. Yeah, it was daily, but it's weekly now. When did it go from daily to weekly? Um, after after Christmas. After this Christmas just gone? Yeah, because my, my life revolves in cycles of uh, my birthday, my mother's death, Christmas. My birthday, my mother's death, Christmas. Yeah. And my, my drug use has always been that way. Yeah. Well, this year I managed to not use at Christmas. Mm-hmm. First time other than when I was in jail while I was sober. Mm-hmm. And uh, today I don't want to use. Are you in therapy or on any meds? No, 
no, no. So you're completely holistic. Yeah, I've I've done the wrapped program. I've done the NA. I've done the twelve steps. I've done them all. The therapists that spoke to you were there any that gave you particular gems of wisdom? Um, yeah, one of them said that my mother. The reason I'm so ill is I put my mother on a pedestal, and until I take off that pedestal, you're probably going to die from it. Wow. And yeah. Wow. I cried for about a month when she said that to me. But when I look back at it, I, I've got it in the paperwork here. So, But when I look back at it, it's like pretty brutal. But she was right. Yeah. I had my mother on this pedestal. And really, uh, it, it was the reason why I used. And have the therapist given you any advice about reuniting with your sister? Uh, no send letters. To send letters? A no send letter. What does that mean? It means you write a letter and you don't send it. Okay, so express, express your, your emotions. Yeah, so you get it on paper and then you just don't send it. And is that is that supposed to be a release for yeah, you? Yeah, it's like a cathartic experience to get rid of the... the um, what's the word? Um, how pissed off I'm with her. And That's how, basically it. Has that worked the for bitterness. you? The bitterness. Has that worked for you? Yes, yes, it has. Yeah. It has. Yeah. So you think that there's a good chance in the future that you could have, be, have a good relationship with your sister? I hope so, yeah. I love her, she's my sister. Okay, is, but she, is she not ready for that yet? No, she doesn't okay. trust me. I'm a drug dealing scumbag in her eyes. Do you think that circumstances could change in your life and you could spiral out of control? Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what, what? If my father died tomorrow and my whole family disowned me, it would be a hard work at that point. Do you have safeguard measures or any techniques you could fall back on to stop you from going back to the full cycle of destruction? Uh, talking to people. The best medicine is to talk and to cry. Yeah. I've got a good flatmate. I've got a very good support network of people around me. Yeah. And if I feel bad, I ring somebody and tell them. Yeah. If I'm flat out about use, I tell somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's the way forward. I think if you've got that community, that support structure, it's um, such an important thing, isn't mm -hmm. it? That's what I learned in the in jail is about your support network. The five people who you can call your friends. Because yeah. when you sell drugs or you're involved in a drug industry, you have a thousand drug associates who all love you. But when you get locked behind the door, there are literally four people that write to you. Mm -hmm. Those are, that's the support network I'm talking about. Yeah. What's the biggest lesson you've ever learned in your life? Wow. Um, uh, to, be, to own up to, uh, 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 to, to be honest, and own up to the things that you've done. If you don't do that, they're going to haunt you for the rest of your life. Just to take personal responsibility. Yeah. And, I've, yeah. and, and, and I had never taken personal responsibility until July the 6th, 2011. I denied all responsibility and accepted any responsibility for anything for my whole life. Yeah. And on that day, bosh, there you go, mate. Have that. To young people out there watching Blow and Pablo Escobar. It's not worth it. What would you say to them? To... It's definitely not worth it. Why is that? Uh, because, uh, uh, a bit of a cliche, but what goes up must come down. Yeah. And uh, I can remember being in... Um, in uh, Chelsea Harbour, a sweet 25 grand, real expensive hookers, amazing coke everywhere. Six weeks later, in the jail, with prison garbs on, people wanted to steal your shoes. It's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. And it's the detrimental effect that it has on the people around you. You don't understand it until your sister or your father or your mother comes in and sees you and mm. they're crying and you're like, well, what are you crying for? I'm the fucking one sat here. Yeah, and they're like, you don't understand the shit that I'm getting out on the street or whatever. The looks people are giving me. Yeah. So. Have you got anything you'd like to say to the people watching this video? Uh, yeah. Um, just um, 
if you think I'm talking shit, just go and look up at me online, you know? <laughs> I'm not an IPP prisoner. I am not somebody who's violent, like I've said before. I'm just somebody who has made a serious mistake in their life, and I don't want another 20-something-year-old boy or girl to do that. And if someone hearing this can uh, can take something from it, then um, that's what I'm about. Well, look, if you've enjoyed this video, you know, appreciate James coming down. He's just like a regular guy, an authentic person. Things happen in life like they do to all of us, and he got in the mix. So... Please post your thoughts, your comments, your likes. Let us know. If you've got any more questions for James, put them in the comments section. Uh, I think that was a really positive note to um, end this on, brother. Sorry, so thanks for coming. Thank you. Cheers.